pass from Havili was magic. The shift on for Crotty. Boom, far down you go, Quaggett Smith. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Sit back, relax, put your belt on, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Royal Rumble, where we bring together the best minds in Australian rugby podcasting to chat through the highs and the lows of the game that they play in heaven. My name is Ando, I'm from the Pick and Drive rugby team, one third of that glorious gang, and it is my pleasure to be your host for the evening. Tonight, for our Christmas edition of the Rumble, we'll be doing things a little bit differently as our Christmas gift to you. The show is going to be broken up. It's going to go for an hour in length and it'll be broken up into 10-minute chunks, each with a different host, each with a different topic, and each with an opportunity for you to get involved and give us your questions, comments, and banter throughout the show. So before we dive into things, who are you going to see? Who who really is going to be gracing your screens this evening? Well, obviously, you're going to have my co-host, Mitch from Pick and Drive Rugby. You're going to have my other co-host, Mitch, or Rev, from Pick and Drive Rugby and also the Rugby Fixation. And you'll have Matt from Gold Digger Rugby and Nelson from, actually, I need to say Nelson, the more attractive Dale. we got the better of the two Dales here, uh, from Draft Rugby Podcast. So, gentlemen, without any further delays, let's add you into this show and get things started. Nelson and Rev, welcome to the ring. Nelson, let's make you front and centre, mate. Make sure to unmute yourselves, boys, and let's go. Good to be here, boys. This is a big moment for rugby in Australia, so let's get right into it, I think. So the the first section that we're going to be going through is our build or our road to the Rugby World Cup. I think I'm going to ask you boys a couple of questions, get your opinion on this. I think the first big thing for me is when we talk about a Rugby World Cup and we talk about a, a winning side, the spine of a rugby side is is a real key part of that. That's your hooker, your number eight, your number nine, your fly half and your fullback. They basically control everything around the paddock from set piece to you know getting the ball out wide. So my first question I'll, I'll throw over to you, Rev. Um what do you think? I mean, we've got a few question marks there, especially around hooker, um, maybe 10 and 15. Do you think we pick and stick in 2022? Do we blood a few new players in those roles or, or how do you think we work this in 2022? I think we do need a bit of pick and stick. Uh, that hooker jersey hasn't been um, taken by anyone. I think this is the best chance to get <clears throat> Feinger, uh, Yulesi, Marfi, Parecki and Kaitu'u all starting a full season for their clubs, whoever's the best of them chuck them in there because we've got what just less than 20 test caps um, available before the World Cup. Uh, we don't have many experienced options. I think Feinger's got 25 and he's the most experienced. Um, other than that, I love Valentini at eight. I love Harry Wilson at eight. So we're set there. Uh, Nick Wyatt, Tate McDermott, Jake Gordon sorted for nine. Um, 10 and 12, I, I might let Ando cover, but I, I'm, I'm happy with some of the options. But 15, we've, we've got a nail. For me, I'll just jump in here. I think the 10 jersey has basically got to be going between a triumvirate of if we, if Quade Cooper can maybe be a bit more consistently available for the Wallabies, and he is definitely in contention based upon his performances this year. James O'Connor's up there too, and you've got to be keeping Noah Lolasu and probably Will Harrison in the picture too. I think of the rest of the 10s, Will Harrison is your man. If he gets an uninterrupted season at the Waratahs at 10. And with Ben Donaldson there, it's going to be a little bit challenging to see whether or not he gets the full season in that 10 position. Yeah, I think uh, the, the 10's a big one for me. I mean, we, we saw shades of Quaid, you know, old school Quaid um, with his kicking and a few things that were pretty pivotal. But, you know, we also saw the bad side of Quaid back in the day, I think, against Japan. You know, played he, overplayed his hand a little bit. Compared to, you know, his first few games for the Wallabies, he was quite settled and something that I think, you know, the Wallabies really built off very well. Uh, who, who was your choice for fullback, would you say, Rev? Look, for me at the moment, I think Reese Hodge. Um, I think he's probably the safest. He's very experienced. He's <clears> got a good kicking game. Um, and it's not a choice that fills me with a whole heap of excitement, but I think it's probably the choice at the moment that gives me... Um, yeah, the most comfortability based on the rest of our back line. But I'm very keen to see Jordan Pattaya at 15 for the Reds this year. I think that's the biggest bright spark and the biggest uh, room for potential there. He's got a lot of competition, but, yeah, hopefully he gets a crack there and, you know, hopefully he can stay uninjured as well. I think we'll jump straight into the comments. Luke Taylor 
has thrown out this saying, Will Harrison just needs a good forward pack to show his potential. Could be the future. I, I honestly think if he was in that Brumby squad and, and playing with those boys, he would already have the Wallaby caps. So I, I think that's that's a pretty clear point in, in for me. I think he, he's got a, a big you know future ahead of him. My second question here, boys. So, I mean, we had 50% win rate in 2021, seven from 14 matches. Our next series is against England, who have lost eight on the trot since our win against them to knock them out, which is very sweet, in the Rugby World Cup, home Rugby World Cup in 2015. And that included a clean sweep on Australian shores by England in 2016. What do we think, Ando? What do you think is the benchmark? What should we be aiming for? You have to be aiming for a home win against yeah. a travelling England side to uh, it'll be, yeah, basically 18 months out from the Rugby World Cup. Um, there is nothing less than a win that is acceptable. The challenge is England are up there as one of the best teams in the world at this current point in the de- in the development cycle. They have an incredible squad filled with really top-of-the-line players, even if they didn't get represented in the World 15 for 2021. Um, they have an incredible awesome competition over in England with the Premiership. I'm just really worried that it could be a 3-0 loss, but at the very least, we need to have that consistency in performance and consistency in execution of a game plan and the in Rennie we trust mantra of the team is progressing and moving forward. Now, I'm hoping for a 2-1 win. Um, Actually, no, you know what? I'm hoping for a 3-0 win, but I'll take a (laughs) 2-1 win. Yeah, look, I... Shevi's just pointed out, um, you know, our spring tour, we we had a lot of injuries, um, which really didn't give us the shot that I think we probably thought and expected we have. You know, we we wanted two wins, I think, from you know this spring tour at least. We walked away with zero, but for me, it wasn't a loss of a tour because you know we we did just do some of the things you were talking about, showed some potential, showed some growth. Um, so it's hard to put a, a figure on it. I, I know I'll be disappointed if we don't get at least one. I'll be positive if we get two, if we get three. Mm. I think um, I feel like I won the lottery. So it'll be interesting to see how we go into in next year. How about for you, Rev? What do you think the key work-ons off the back of 2021 that the Wallabies really, truly need to work on? I still think discipline in key areas is going to yeah. be our, our big focus. Uh, Defence, I thought... We did really well um, to work on our one-on-one defence, um, but we still we ended up conceding more points on average this year than last year, and the most part was because we were giving more teams kickable penalties. Yeah, uh, we saw in the games overseas, I think what England racked up five or six penalties against us in that match. Like it really didn't give us much room to to play if they could keep putting on that scoreboard pressure. So, um, yeah, for me, I, I'd really just like to see us hone in on those decisions. Maybe it makes it a bit easy with the Southern Hemisphere ref. I know that, you know, our ruck work wasn't up to the standard of Northern Hemisphere refs um, while over there, but we've got to adapt. Um, and, and for me, that's easiest done with our own discipline, looking at tackle height, uh, ruck entries, and just sort of getting that sorted. Yeah, look, it all seems like fixable things for me. You know, it, it's difficult, and you just look at all the Southern Hemisphere teams playing in the Northern Hemisphere, that, that penalty rate, the yellow cards, the red cards really were all in the all towards the southern hemisphere so it is that that difference in refereeing but if we can't get that figured out come the world cup then you know it's it's going to be you know something that could end up losing you a, a chance at a at a rugby world cup um Ando, do you have anything you think we need to work on outside of that Oh, look, I think we just need to continue giving um, Paisami an opportunity to develop in that 12 position. I think he needs to be playing there for the full season for the Reds because Len Ikatao is your nailed on 13 for the next two years for the Wallabies if he remains injury-free. <laughs> so the question is who's going to be inside of him? You want to have probably the fight between uh, Paisami and Samu Karevi. And so with those two, obviously at this point in time, Karevi is your go-to. Okay, yep. he is, if he's available, he is the Wallabies 12. But we've seen and experienced that he's not always available and it actually took Paisami a fairly long time to kind of settle back into the Wallabies squad when, when Karevi left. And so I just want Paisami to get that consistency of selection at 12, much like we were talking about Will Harrison for 10 at the Waratahs. I'd love to see Paisami starting there for the Reds for the whole season so he can work on those little nuances that he had been developing within his game, particularly um, kind of the wider passing, although 
no Wallaby should ever pass wide within a game because intercepts galore. Um, <laughs> but also just the quality of his short kicking game that we've seen on a few occasions, and I'd love that to continue to develop. So that, those are my thoughts on him. Yeah, look, I've, I've really loved his development over the last 12 months, 18 months. We saw him, you know, pulling off those little kicks, little grubbers, chip over the top um, in Super Rugby. And I think this year he showed that that can come off at international level. We saw him do it with, you know, scoring Pattaya to, to score to finish the game with grubbers under the post. It's a pretty ballsy thing to pull that off in Super Rugby and it's it's a massive thing to be confident enough to do it in the Wallabies arena. And I think the interesting thing is clearly Rennie is allowing him to do that. He's giving him a license to actually, you know, take a shot and, and play how he wants to play his rugby, which is something that excites me, I think, moving forward. Um you know, the players aren't getting boxed in to play a certain style. They're allowed to, to chance their arm, and, and that's a really exciting thing for me. Um, I think another question for me would be there's a lot of players that have been on the periphery for, for me. Um, Parisi's obviously one. Didn't really get his crack that we, we were hoping for um, due to injury this year. Um, Rev, is there a player, a single player that stands out for you that if you had your say, he'd be playing for the Wallabies in, in 2022? Uh, for me, this is a tough bit, but for me, I think if I've got an down to one, Alex Murphy. Um, I, I have to choose between a Reds and a Waratahs mm. player, so I'm going to lean. Murphy. <laughs> it could have been could have been Parecki, but I, I just I think they're the most dynamic, but also skillful of the hookers um, available that haven't yep. been capped. I think they're probably more useful than perhaps two in the squad, maybe more, and with a full season and you know less competition for positions maybe they get their chance this year. So for me, um, a whole host of options, but Murphy, I'll, I'll list. Murphy's a big one for me. Uh, I think hopefully his size doesn't prove to be a bit of an issue for him. Yeah. He's a little bit smaller than maybe you'd expect for a hooker at this level, but he's, he's a really exciting player. Um, I thought, you know, Sheepy's picked it, what, what I thought you were going to say, and that's <laughs> um, Harry Wilson. That's pretty pretty surprising. But, I mean, Valentini's done such a good job at that number eight at the back of that scrum. So hopefully we see more of Harry Wilson. And I think personally our, our best setup could see Valentini at six at some point as well. Yeah. Ando, who's that one player that you'd be bringing in? For me, it's Siliasu Vunavali. And yep. obviously, if he's injury-free, that's that's the challenge for him at the moment. But he's the replacement for for, Mar for Marika Corombete on the left wing at 11. And then you have Kilaway and Wright fighting it out at 14. And the competition for places is fantastic, but you need that power winger that we really missed with Corombete not being available. So, yeah, that's that's my pick of just that power backline players that we really, really <clears throat> miss with Corombete's absence. Yeah, again, another one that I think everyone's pretty excited. Uh, I put a poll up on, on Twitter and I think pretty much everybody echoed what you just said. Everyone wants to see Vunavalu in that Wallabies jersey. I can already see it now, the crossfield kick, him just reaching over to score and win us a grand final of the 2023 Rugby World Cup. So I'm excited, boys. I, I think we've chewed the fat a fair bit here in, in my topic and good to be able to pick both of your brains and... Yeah, hopefully we're going to keep on building. All right, team. We're going to move into the next segment now. So, Nelson, you stay here. Rev, you and I are cut, and we'll bring the others in. Let's go. Hey, gun boys. All right. Well, uh, sec second segment for this evening, we're going to talk about the Gitto Law Amendments for 2022. Now, this is a big one for the potential future of the Wallabies, and we just really, at the moment, we don't know what's going to be made, what decision RA is going to make, how it's going to influence next year, but also 2023. So let's uh, let's dive in. I've got a few questions for both of you. And um, I'll start off with you, Matt. What's your ideal conditions for selection for any player in to play for the Wallabies for 2022? Or from 2022, sorry. Oh, hold on. You're on, you're on mute. You're muted. There we go. We can hear you oh. now. Fair enough. Sorry, I uh, thought I'd I thought I'd muted myself there. Um, <laughs> look, my ideal conditions. I was trying to think about this, and I was sort of analysing. Like, I wrote a piece uh, where I'm I'm actually against the relaxing of the Gitto law. I think it's served us well. I think it's also had its issues as well in 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 the way that it's had an effect on players who have been staying loyal. Um, <clears throat> it's really hard because I think we've discussed this a number of times, and everyone acknowledges that the last two years have been anything but normal. So for, for it's almost like 
can you focus on the last year or two years or should you actually go back to 2015 when it was introduced and see how useful and efficient has it been? And it's largely brought in for World Cups, I think, my, my personal opinion. Um, Karevi aside, I think the whole purpose is around, you know, trying to prepare a team, the best possible team made up of the best possible players in the world for a World Cup. And if you were to sort of look at where we are now, I would like to see certainty, like before the next season. Um, I, I had the benefit of interviewing um, Ollie, Ollie Hoskins, who, who debuted um, just last month, and, and he said that at the end of the Wallaby tour, um, Rennie spoke to all the guys and said he doesn't still know what's the criteria is. So, so he obviously said to guys like him and Skelton, um, maybe, maybe not, I don't know yet. So it doesn't appear as of a few weeks ago the decision had been made by RA. What do I personally want? Um, I, I would be more happy to keep it with the 60 cap threshold, mm. but maybe you make an exception. Maybe the exception could be something like you could choose a player who's played less than 60 caps as long as they've played for the Wallabies in the last two seasons. So at least they're not, you know, completely out of the system. That That's one idea off the top of my head. Yeah, exciting. Okay. And Nelson, what, what are your thoughts around your ideal conditions for the ghetto law from 2022 for the future? I think I've got to just be a little bit calm on this. Like for me, I think in the last year or two, the excitement of someone like Karevi coming in, the excitement of, you know, Skelton and um, Arnold and, and players getting their chance, I think it was a unique opportunity for us to do. And I think if we sit there and look at how it's going to affect rugby in Australia on a, in a broader aspect, I don't think we can just open it up to to anyone with an Australian passport around the world. So I think for me, you may be keeping that 60 caps um, and maybe we do just look at having, you know, two, three players, key players that can be brought in. Like they sort of brought that tweak in last year and we didn't get the chance to use it with COVID. So, I mean, if it means we've got to bring in a lock, if it means we've got to bring in Quaid or something along those lines, we can fill those little holes, but it's not like, everyone gets the confidence that they can go offshore and still just get picked whenever they feel like it. So mm. I, I think, yeah, it's finding that balance. I'm, I've, got a, I've got a term for my one. I think we'll call it the Corin Betty clause because I think <laughs> if, there's one, if there's one guy who we've, we've, we're going to lose in the next year who I'd like to see back in 2023, he's probably the first cab of the, off the rank. Yep. Yep, definitely. And that's the, that, as you both said, that's the tricky line of trying to figure out what's going to be best for on-field performance and get the wins, but also not damage the super rugby product in Australia and, and sort of diminish what we've currently got. So yeah. we've both said, you both said what you thought your ideal model would be. Mm. What do we now think that RA will actually bring in from next year? I'll go back to you first, Matt. Um, I, I think I think they tinkered, and I think we'll see something similar to what we've seen. So I don't think they'll completely ignore the fact that they have players that are clearly of interest to Rennie. Um, I think it'll be some sort of uh, formalisation of players who have either got caps uh, or, or haven't got caps but still qualify in a um, – like it, it will be complex, let's face it, rugby, rugby – um, policies and laws are never never easy and never cut and dry there'll probably be a few conditions but i suspect it will be something along the lines of uh <clears throat> maintaining the 60 game maybe bringing it down to 40 which then does catch someone like corin betty who's at 42 uh but then <clears throat> yeah limiting the, the number of wild cards or ex exemptions whatever the, the term would be to two or three uh, and then maybe on top of that <clears throat> If there's a uh, a situation where there's a position uh, in in you know it's almost like a sort of a um, not not a liability issue but you know what I mean they a duty of care um, as there was with sort of Ollie Hoskins coming in at tight head prop because they didn't have any other tight heads then they can they can enact that so I suspect it'll be something along those lines where it'll be two or three different ways and you know it'll be clear once they say it. It just might be, you know, one of those things as fans, we always got to kind of jump onto the Google to do a quick search when someone goes down to figure out what will happen next. <laughs> and Lincoln Adler writes in and says, let them pick a max of five players from offshore, not enough to bring mm. disharmony. Uh, and mm. that, I think, is what we've done this year. And I think it goes to show that it has worked. 
from looking at the performances right. of the of the Wallabies from where we were, Bledisloe Cup, first few rounds of rugby champs to when we started to bring in that offshore talent, we were looking at much better results. Well, uh, that, Hugh Tindall says, oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, on that disharmony, my question is, is given the fact we, we did choose um, Rory Arnold, Skelton, we brought in Sean McMahon and guys like Matt Phillip, Harry Wilson didn't get much game time. Have we created disharmony? Have we created another potential, what I would call a Matt Tamua situation where, you know, Tamua basically had his position in 2015 taken over by the, the, the player that the law was, was named after? Yeah, look, I, I'm happy to have an opinion on this. Look, I, I think it does come down to individual players and these players know that this is about having the best Aussie side. Um, mm. I think they can understand the circumstances at the moment and know that this was pretty fluid. So uh, my guess is that Matt Phillip, as a good example, knew that these guys are, are very good locks. They're going to have their crack and he just needs to be confident that he can, you know, solidify himself when he gets those opportunities for the Wallabies. And I think he's done that, to be honest. So it, it definitely has the ability to to create some disharmony. But I, I think if it's done in the right way and when the, the players are together, when Rennie's talking to the boys, it's approached in the right fashion, I think it can be a positive and it mm. can actually be a positive for the culture as well. Um, as long as everyone's striving to win and everyone's striving to have the best Wallaby side, I think players will understand in mm. a way. Going back a few questions, um, we were just talking about it before we jumped into that last one around disharmony. Looking at the results for 2021, those last few games, do we think bringing in that extra talent was a massive market improvement <clears throat> for the Wallabies from what we had seen previously, sort of 2020, early 2021, that France series? Matt, what, what are your thoughts around that? It, it's funny. I mean, we didn't get to see much of Skelton, did we? And um, we barely saw McMahon, so it's hard to have an opinion on them. I think the best example, the two examples we have are probably Rory Arnold and Kurtley Beale. And, and you know, okay, Bill did something magical in Wales but for, for one move, but then the rest of it was always a bit of the old Beale. You know, you knew he was going to maybe break through and do something special, but he was also possibly going to do something quite stupid. And um, but and Arnold just seemed to come in and, and solidify what I thought was a forward pack that had performed pretty well all season. So um, I, I've, I've no doubt that I think that these guys bring something. I don't think they, they don't bring something. It's just a question of long-term, is that going to work? And I suppose to answer your question, or to, to respond to you, Nelson, I think you make a great point. If it's done in the fashion of, hey, guys, we're two years out from a World Cup, we're trying things, we're trying to build, I suspect players are going to make a um, – they are going to, you know, understand that. I think if it's done the year of the World Cup, and all mm. of a sudden, you've you've been working a whole cycle, thinking that you're the, you've got a good spot, you know, you've got your selection um, sorted. And all of a sudden, they parachute some guy who hasn't been playing for four or five years. Yeah, then maybe that is going to put people offside. So, um, but yeah, I don't know. In terms of the what they brought, I don't know. What did you think? Do you think that they were sort of a they added a boost? I personally don't think we saw enough out of any any of the players to really warrant bringing them back over players that mm. we've currently got. Yeah. Uh, Curtly Beal, <clears throat> questionable. Samu Krevi, Quay Cooper definitely had more of an impact than any of the, the European-based plays. And I think as a fan, we're all, try we're all crying out to see more of them in the future. Mm. So I think if we can change rules to make them a little more uh, allowed to be picked, then I think we're moving in the right direction. Yeah. Um, Robski Foster says, disharmony versus cohesion may make a big difference. Um, I'll throw this last question to you, Nelson, before we do move on Point. to the next topic. And yep. that question is, do we think, what, regardless of whatever Rugby Australia go with for the ghetto law next year, whatever the, the hard rules or the, the laxed rules, do you yep. think they change those for a World Cup year and throw the gates open and just pick whoever they can to win a World Cup? Look, I, I think... Matt just touched on probably what my opinion is on that. I think you've got to pick it and you've got to set it in stone. If you're trying to create a culture and, and an understanding that, you know, we can bring a few players in and you're going to have to wear it on the chin on occasion, I don't think you can just change it every year, whatever sort of suits you. You know what I mean? I think we've got to pick it two years out. This is our chance to do it now. And we've got to take it through easily through this World Cup, see where we're at, you know, four, six years down the track. Um, maybe maybe we get through the next two Rugby World Cups you know, using this sort of system. It is an evolving sort of 
dynamic world rugby with a lot of players going overseas. So it is going to be fluid, but I, I can't just change year, year in, year out. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think we've run out of time. Thank you, gentlemen, for both of your time uh, on this topic. And it will be very interesting to see which way RA go. And hopefully we get a decision earlier, sooner rather than later. So mm. for the next segment, we will have Matt, Rev, and Ando running things. So we'll um, we'll take a break. Nelson, you and I. Game on, Matt. Over to you, oh my, my friend. God. Am I in control now of the ship? This is yeah, boy. All yours. <laughs> well, look, we're going to talk law changes and red cards, and I think if there's one subject that has managed to provoke the the, the biggest reaction all year, it has to have been um, the cards. I, I, I go back to the start. It's almost like the season was bookended. We had um, Marika Corombetti's red card against France, and then in the last Welsh game, there was the, the Valentini red card and also, I guess, the the, the Bill yellow card. Um, but, you know, I'll ask you guys, maybe Rev, I'll, I'll ask you first. Um, let's discuss red cards to, to begin with. What's your, what's your biggest takeaway from some of the changes that were made? Because remember, we had a 20-minute... Uh, trial. Uh, it was a trial, but that wasn't rolled out during the spring tour. Um, what are your sort of big observations on what you've seen from, you know, the way the cards have been executed this year? The big thing for me, I think, is consistency across red cards and just how many different ways there are to get red cards. Uh, I think the law book needs a massive work through and just get some of the best rugby brains um, by which I just mean uh, the two of you and Morgan Turanui, um, just <laughs> get you guys in a room to go through and just look at, well, what's actually going to constitute dangerous play? Because I hate that the idea of accidentally hitting someone high, and, and Morgan said it on um, Between Two Posts, Valentini's tackle in that last match where he got the red card, he did nine out of ten things perfectly, but it was just slightly too high, and that's off, and that's the same punishment as if he saw someone lying on the ground, punched him in the face, took his phone out, and started messaging his sister. So I don't think that there's any sort of – there's no consistency in that decision-making. I think there does need to be some nuance and some gray area where we can work that. 20-minute red cards is a great start. Um, going back to that, Super Rugby you did a great job of implementing those, and we saw a really different contest. Um, yeah. I, I think that's all for the better. So if we're just talking red cards, that's that's an easy fix for Test Rugby, I think. I, I suppose there are things that they've always been – you know, ideas about introducing the third cards uh, or a third card system. Um, you know, what are your thoughts, Ando, on the idea of perhaps having both your yellow and red cards and then introducing a third card like an orange card or a, or a black card or something like that? I think of, you know... it definitely has to be a black card because it needs to be like the colour of death. And if you <laughs> do something that is incredibly... Against the spirit of the game, like you king hit a person, you eye gouge, you um, basically a Thomas Lavanini and do anything on a rugby field, then you are deserving to be off for the whole game. And I don't think the 20-minute uh, return should apply in those types of circumstances. Because I think the, the great thing about a red card in rugby is that they are, they are markers of what is unacceptable within the game. Mm. And there's a bit of a danger mm. if we take the red card down to a 20-minute send-off and then you can the player can be replaced, is that serious, serious intentional infractions or dirty, um, dirty plays, they're not punished as harshly as they should be. But then we also, like, it, it's solving one problem where Valentini's mistake of one out of 10 things incorrectly isn't as harshly punished, but then it could let something else really dirty go. And I think a black card would help solve that problem. Yep. Yeah, look, it's it's fair enough. I, I, I There's a couple of comments there. Um, I think um, at least uh, Hughes made a, a great comment, which you should bring up, about 20-minute card, twenty minute cards reduces the impact of ref howlers. But, yeah, it doesn't address the, the underlying issue of consistency and fairness. Now, that was your point, Rev. What, let me ask you both, and you can both answer this. Australia got the most cards in the last spring tour. Um, in fact, we got five cards, which was the more than all the Northern Hemisphere teams combined. Is there something about our discipline that we actually need to address? Yeah, and I think that's why I mentioned it before, is it does seem to be an issue. And I know my first reaction as a Wallabies fan is I see it happening and I'm like, oh, they're out to get us, you know, <laughs> they can't. Mm. You know, stop us any other way, um, and and I want to blame either the ref or you know some law book that's you know, seemingly out to get Australians. But when I think about it, every 
red card or yellow card decision, I can at least understand. Uh, I don't think there's been that many. Uh, the Corin Betty one, they've come out and said, you know, they've, they've made a mistake. But uh, even when I look at these cards, I can see the argument for them. I think we've just got to be better. And, th- and that's you know something that we're adjusting and we're learning the hard way. But it's also mm. a pretty good time to be learning it, I think. Yeah. And uh, what are your thoughts? Look, I um, need you to repeat the question because I was reading too many of the comments in, well, well, uh, in well, the are chat. We, are, are, we, are we too dis- – yeah, I mean, look, there are a couple of interesting comments there, but are, have we been too ill-disciplined? Because if in two years' yeah. time we're all yeah. complaining at the World Cup about getting red cards, yellow cards, when really we, we all know what the rules are, we all know that we might be getting targeted or we perhaps Australia already has a, you know, a bit of a, a reputation as sort of being a bit, you know, uh, sort of ill-disciplined – are we our own enemies if in two years' time we are getting carded left, right and centre? I think so, yeah. And what, in my opinion or my interpretation of what's been going on is that our players are still learning to adjust to Rennie's system, which has a pretty strong emphasis on a high intensity and a lot of pressure on defences like every single international team is trying to do within the world. But um, there seems to be a greater emphasis, and he's come out and spoken about it, on wanting to dominate that tackle area and just be absolute rock-hard people in those Mm. spaces. And... You've got players that are obviously trying to go in for those big hits without malice, but still trying to get that dominance over their opposite number that are just in those microseconds getting it wrong. That's yeah. what we saw with Valentini. That's what we saw with um, uh, with Swinton's hit on the French captain. Um, he And again, Swinton's like a couple of times for him. They're just not lowering their height enough. And so I'm, I'm pretty confident that, that these things will be work-ons, but we also need to remember the relative international inexperience of a lot of our players and so it's inexperience combined with pretty strict mandates combined with um, adjusting to what is still a developing style that they're trying to get used to so I think if we combine those things together I have hope that over the next 18 months that will start to fade away all right, let's switch over to law changes. Now, I don't want to discuss too many law changes. There is definitely one law change that I'm thinking about this that I think I'd like to see, and this is around making rugby that you know flowing, continuous game. And it's the stoppages at the ruck, where where a halfback decides to make a cup of tea, throw the ball through, you know, almost like tunnel ball, like we used to play at primary school, which is of course this this caterpillar, which to me is about as hideous as the movie The Human Centipede to watch. Um, you see, you know, three or four bodies lined up behind each other and a ball goes through. Now, I was sort of looking at, well, what, what's the issue here? What's the law? But if you look at actually the laws, the World Rugby laws around rucks, the, the ball, after the referee calls use it, the ball must be played within five seconds. I'm pretty sure many of these halfbacks are taking more than five seconds to carefully, delicately get that ball to the back and then kick it. What are your thoughts on this, Rev? Can we, can we get rid of the Caterpillar? I think the user call needs to be more strictly enforced. There's been very few occasions, like so few that when it does happen, it gets a YouTube segment, it gets retweeted you know, to death because it's so rare. That needs to be taken seriously. If they're saying use it, then they're the ref, they're in charge of the game. That's an instruction that needs to be followed immediately. Mm. Um, I think it's now getting to the point, the Saracens um, two weeks ago, I think, uh, exploited it. So the Caterpillar, they formed the two bodies and then shifted mm. off to the side of the ruck to stop a player from getting access to the ball. So it acts as an extra layer of defense. Yeah, um, That's a really dangerous thing because technically that's allowed. They really need to you know, get this sorted because, I mean, these laws are sort of made to be broken or at least, you know, push right to the limit. That's, you know, what makes players like Richie McCaw so great. They were able to, you know, get away with a lot by pushing the envelope. I think right now we need to determine the Caterpillar. I actually don't mind, um, mm. you know, if, it's a smart way to stop a charge down. Great, good on them. But if someone's calling use it, get it out of there. Like the ref, as demonstrated by Luke Pierce on the weekend, they're in charge. If they don't like the way things are going, then they act on it. Let's actually be uh, strict with it. Let's enforce it. Um, uh, Nelson Dale has has an uh, well, uh, probably a contentious law law change, but one which I think people would love to consider. Which all black tries are worth three points. I think you know, we might need to consider that if we want to get a Bledisloe uh, Cup win. Um, but I think, Ando, what are your thoughts on some of the laws? There have been a couple of other ones, I suppose. There was the new um, the variation on the, uh, the 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 try being held up and um, a team having to then kick from the goal line. Um, is there anything else that you think has worked this year, or things that? perhaps they should be considering two years out from a World Cup. 
I like the um, equivalent of the forty twenty. So what is it? The 50-22-22-50, yes. um, which is just a very awkward name. But either way, I've really liked that because it's just provided that extra level. We haven't seen too many teams use it often, but it does have the opportunity or the capacity to really turn a moment in the game in favour of the team that was defending at that moment. Um, so All of a sudden, kick, kicks become... Uh, exciting because they become attacking rather than just a kickback, a game of exactly. kickback. Exactly. And uh, it just shows that there's an extra level to what kicking can be within rugby union mm. rather than the uh, attacks of we just throw up bombs all the time and it's just incredibly like aerial ping pong. <laughs> yeah. Um, look, that's it for this segment because we're running into the next one. But uh, yeah, interesting. We'll see what 2022 brings. All right. Thank you so much. So uh, in this section, it's going to be myself, it's going to be Matt as well. Rev, you're gone, mate. You're cut. And Mitch is back into the show. So Mitch, welcome, mate. Yes. Let's go. Let's do this. He's back. All right, cool. So let's get things going. There was some pretty hot news that came out today by Georgina Robertson in the Sydney Morning Herald with a pretty spicy take about um, Director of Rugby for Rugby Australia, Scott Johnson, has been axed from his $550,000 a year job. And his role... We're not exactly sure what the role is going to be turned into or whether someone else will step into that. Um, But Mitch, I just want to start with you. Scott Johnson, Director of Rugby, what do you think he actually did? That's part of the biggest issue that I think Rugby Australia's had for the last few years is his role was created primarily to manage Checker in a situation where uh, the coach and the CEO of Rugby Australia didn't see eye to eye and were having quite violent clashes of personality in the boardroom. So they brought in Scott Johnson to sort of manage that situation and sit on the selection panel and hopefully try and create a different opinion of who selected so it doesn't appear as biased as what people were initially thinking under Checker's uh, reign. And then we got rid of Checker or Checker stepped down and we've got a new coach who is best mates from all reports with Scott Johnson and he's apparently been quite instrumental in bringing in um, the coaching setup that is around the coaches around Rennie and potentially some of the players. But apart from that, we haven't really seen all that much. And one of his biggest roles is player recruitment and player re- um, player re- recruitment and retention. re-signings. Irretention, that's the word I'm looking for. And we, we've had some massive balls up this year in regards to the Samu Karevi, Quade Cooper are they playing, are they not playing sort of fiasco around communication? And pretty much it looks like that decision solely sat with Scott Johnson. So at the moment, it doesn't look like a massive gap in terms of responsibility for the future. Um, and hopefully it just means that we've got a little bit more money to spend on other situations, other areas. Well, we've got Tim Foster that's come in saying Johnson was in charge of the halftime oranges on game day. Look, that's a crucial role. Okay, so if that's what he was earning the big bucks for, that's then some very enough. expensive oranges. <laughs> Only the best. And Sheepy's arguing, big, bring back a rev, bring back a rev. So not sure what that says about us boys, but we know uh, that rev will be favorite. back. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> he will. And Nelson's saying that too. Nelson, you cut. All right. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're the favourites here. Now, guys. One of the interesting things is that when you actually look into what Scott Johnson actually did, obviously, like Mitch said, he was brought in realistically to provide um, a bit of oversight for Michael Checker when his relationship with RA was particularly strained. And he real, I, I did a bit of digging and talking around with some uh, people in the know within rugby circles. And Ooh. even amongst them, there's a real lack of clarity about what he was doing as director of rugby at RA. I'm asked a few people and nobody actually had a clear idea. There was consensus that he is overall responsible for the high performance programs. Now that includes obviously the um, Wallabies, the Wallaroos, the seven squads, the under 20s, like all of it. He is the one at the pinnacle. But when you look into the recent coaching um, kind of changes and re-signings for the Wallaroos and the sevens teams, he's had nothing to do with that. He's like he has not been involved uh, in that process in any public way, shape, or form. In addition to that, if you're the person in charge of the Wallaroos program, well, you failed. 
because the Wallaroos program has been horrific since 2019 and has been incredibly Wait, is underfunded. There, is there a Wallaroos program? Yeah, great question. And that that is genuinely the question that comes up from it. So as much as I actually agree with his appointment in the first place, and I see the benefit of him coming on board um, with bringing Rennie and particularly Wisemantle 2 into the setup, and I think those are fantastic additions. And whilst I... I mean, seeing him on other shows before, he seems like a good guy and knows what he's doing and cares. But the question is, well, what do we actually lose? What do we actually lose? And I think we gain 550000 but we also lose the opportunity for ref bashing videos from our director of rugby. Um, so that is something to be considering as well. He didn't even get to do one of those. Now, what I'd like to kind of move on from there is to ask the question, well, he's gone. We've got $550,000 spare. Let's just say that his role gets amalgamated into other other people's positions, okay? Half a million dollars. Uh, Matt, what are you spending that half a million dollars on in 2022? Uh, uh, half, half a million dollars is probably pretty much the average top 10 Wallabies salary. So you're pretty much just throwing that into keeping maybe another player um, or spreading it between two Wallaby top-ups. I mean... In, re- in reality, it's not that much money, um, but for, for what it seems to be spending, it, uh, yeah, you're right. Where are we getting value for it? Uh, I, I, I think kind of the, for me that the interesting thing, and I think this is a broad question a lot of people around the world in professional rugby have often asked, is what, does, what is the role of the director of rugby and how crucial is it? Because, you know, it, it is this sort of more broader, long-term view, strategic role where you're looking at things like player, su- uh, player succession, coaching succession. Um, it's almost like you're working with the governance of the organisation to achieve objectives on the field. And so, you know, that that to me is, as has always been many questions I've asked of Rugby Australia in the last decade, is how much thought, how much analysis, how much work and, 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 and proper assessment and auditing goes into the decisions that Rugby Australia makes. So if they've gotten ridden him, you'd like to think that they'll have real reasons for that other than eh, we weren't just getting value while well, he's had a shit season let's let him go that that, yeah, that yeah. sort of gut feel reaction is not really going to serve us well or inform yeah. us on how better to be in the, the years to come and and that's where georgina robertson's article implied further um opportunities and initiatives were going to be taken that's looking at further centralizing and eliminating double up within particular positions she implied that it seems like that'll be the path they're going down not only does it save money but actually it helps bring the unions throughout australia closer together to provide a more direct pathway from the junior programs hopefully up into the wallabies um now, Elijah's put here, use it to bring back Quaid. As much as I've loved Quaid's contributions, if that money was to bring back Quaid, I'd be pretty unhappy because I think that there are much better uses than Unless spending Unless you sign for player. the Tarzan, let's be real. No, no, I'd prefer Will Harrison <laughs> um, because he's the future. Genuinely, he's the future. You, you, you bring might back get... Karevi before you bring back Quaid. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Yeah, for sure. Um, the other point that I wanted to make is surely $550,000 is a Wallaroos tour to Europe. Surely <laughs> it's Wallaroos tour or um, a, a, a multiple series for them in preparation for the upcoming World Cup. Like they need game time. They need support and investment. If that money mm. is used for this, then definitely I would be throwing it at that. Well, Brittany, um, Brittany Mitchell wrote a piece a few a couple of weeks ago and I think there was a quote there that there was a $100,000 um, hole that prevented them from... Um, being able to sort of make certain decisions like that. Now, I don't know if it just came to 100 grand, but as I said in a tweet, could could we have not flown business class and maybe stayed at a, mm. a two or three star hotel and, and allowed more players to to come to come on board? And, and my question for for people like Justin Harrison of the the Players Association is, what's his attitude when players who are part of that association get left behind because other contingent you know 30 to 40 get to fly business class would it be put to the group say hey guys maybe we need to review things so we can allow for more people to get game time and i just yeah. don't know if people are considering that are, I you, wonder Matt, are if... you gonna are you volunteering to tell taniella tupo that he has to sit in a business in a um, economy class seat for 14 hours you know what if, definitely... it, if it means that i say to him mate <laughs> you do be... that and two other people get to fly to europe or at least one other person now i reckon he's a nice enough guy I imagine he would be yeah, happy to make sure. it so fast. Might have to get him some food on the arrival and 
you know, you know, plump some pack some, him a few some, things as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, plump, plump a few pillows around him. But... <laughs> All right, team. Well, on that note, and I hear he likes a bit of KFC. I think I remember an interview with him saying that he loves some KFC. So what we're going to do now is that is the finish of our section. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Been an absolute pleasure having you on board. So now we're heading for Rev, Nelson, and Mitch. So Matt, you and I are cut, and the other guys come on. So let's. All righty, we're in the dream team. Let's get to it. We're going to finish and wrap it up with probably um, one of the nicest things to talk about, a bit of a pressure reliever, I think. Um, just the highlights of 2021. You know, there's no no finances involved, no boardroom drama, no <laughs> law changes. What just made us happy throughout the year? And, and you know, I'll start things off just by getting mine off the bat because I know two, uh, two guys south of the border won't be taking it. But, I mean, for me, Super Rugby AU was a massive win, but in particular... How was the rivalry between the Reds and Brumbies? Just those three games, I think all up the Reds led for about 15 minutes, if that, across all three of them. But, I mean, the Reds and Nick Berry just did an awesome job of making um, (laughs) some unreal contests. And I I think, for me, a a real sense of pride and um, competition between Australian sides. I know that all the sides were competitive. Um, All the teams look quite good on, on on their best day, but... For me, just the Reds and Brumbies competition has made me so keen for uh, Super Rugby 2022, um, getting the Pacific element in there just because we've got something that's really exciting. And for me, uh, there were so many great test matches, but just nothing beat the elation of winning that final. What about for you guys? Nelson, what made you uh, happy? What was your highlight of 2021? Oh, look, before I jump into my highlight, I, w- I will echo you know, that rivalry between the Brumbies and Reds, it was something that really built a lot of passion for, for rugby fans. And I mean, as a, as a Waratahs supporter, I absolutely love those, those games. And I'd happily see there, you know, sit there and watch a few more throughout the year. And I, I think if we had a super rugby AU season to kick things off, like we, we have had in recent years, I think that's been pretty perfect for those rivalries. But look for me, I think, <clears throat> It's hard to pick. There's been lots of good things, you know, Stan, everything like that. But I, I think for me, a step in the right direction was that French series. Um, and, and that's probably going to be the highlight for me, seeing some of these young players come in. Um, our, our team's changed so much from that French series. Um, I mean, but we just had the, the evolution of players, I think, like Lola Cio. He can show that he can hack it at the international level. Um, he, we maybe we pushed him too hard throughout the rest of the year against New Zealand and, and things like that. But we found this mojo where we can actually finish a game out and win a close game. And that's not something we've had for the last few years. I mean, we, we had three draws last year in matches that we should have won. Um, and I, I think maybe in the, the back end of this sort of tour, we showed that we're not there yet. We, we haven't won all those tight games, but we've shown that we can fight right to the very end and I think it's a, a, a building of belief in the players and a building of that culture. So that French series win, yes, they were a little bit weakened. We were a little bit weakened. But, I mean, that was a good French side. And all of those players just went on to beat the All Blacks. So I'll take that as a pretty good win. <laughs> yeah, that, that was a massive series. And one thing to highlight, because we've got some great comments coming through as well. <clears throat> Simon Strong's come in just to mention that one of the highlights is an all-Melbourne-born Wallaby back row on tour. So that last match with Leota, Samu and Valentini just getting all the the burn boys in um a really nice touch and mm-hmm. also ollie hoskins what, what a story for him um please take the time go and listen to um gold digger rugby he just did an interview with um ollie hoskins and it, it's unreal to get that insight uh, now mitch i want to throw to you to get your highlight of the year but one of the highlights i gotta say just before we get to that is how nice it is seeing every time we do a live show your mum and brother are always in here always commenting I mean, Nelson and I have siblings we podcast with, and they're not on here commenting. So, yeah. um, great work from Robski and Tim to be on here each time. But, um, Mitch, what was uh, one of the highlights for you this year? Yeah, I, I don't think we can talk about 2021 and go past those two performances against the Springboks. Um, we saw a trajectory of the year for the Wallabies. We started off in a really high spot, uh, beating that French, the French in the three-test series and really finding a way to win at the end there. We went into a pretty grueling rugby champs uh, first few weeks and rugby Bledisloe against a fairly on-fire New Zealand team that was asking and bringing us all back down to reality a little bit after that French series win. Um, and then we go up against the Springboks where we had 
massive question marks around some of the players bringing Quade Cooper back. Was this the right decision? And then we put in two pretty, pretty strong and dominant. The second one was dominant, but two very strong performances, the best performances we've seen from this Wallabies team this year. And all of a sudden, we're now we retain the Ray, we we get the Rayburn Shield, we retain it, and then we go on a five-game winning streak from then on. So the middle of the year was a massive highlight. There was some still some questions asked around the spring tour, but COVID, we need to take that with a grain of salt. With COVID, players not available, Marika Korobetti not on tour, Samu Krevi, Quay Cooper not over there either. So if we have some of those players available, like we did in that. In the spring box games, I think we're looking at completely different results. But uh, similar to what Nelson was saying, I just think we're starting to now see the trend of Rennie's team and the team he wants to build and the belief starting to get back into these players um, and just the positivity in the community around the Wallabies, around the game, stands bringing the, the, the positivity, speaking it up. We've got so much more insight into the broadcast. Uh, Pretty much just going to say all of 2021 has been a pretty good highlight so far. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's really summed up um, nicely by Sheepy's post as well, just saying the highlight is the positivity in rugby. And Mitch, you mentioned that I haven't seen a buzz as, as big as leaving Suncorp after that Reds win. Um, and that wasn't just from Reds fans. It was just the real excitement of that was a competition where everyone you know, was right in it right to the end. Um, the games were exciting. They were at a really easy time zone to get into. Um, and you knew every play because it was all Australian. So that made a massive difference. Um, and, and just, I guess, to tie this up, because we've talked about the, sort of the general highlights, but I want to look at, I guess, who were the players that brought the most joy. Um, I will make it a little harder. I don't want us to use Hooper, Karevi, just because they made those World 15s, or Corin Betty, because they're mm-hmm. listed all the time. Um out of the guys that are sort of making their way and perhaps not as experienced, who who really made 2021, um, you know, our year of the Lord? Nelson, who, who was it for you? Am I picking a Wallaby or just someone outside the Wallabies? Do you have a preference? I reckon keep it keep it Australian for this one. Okay. So it was going to be Aussie, don't worry. Won't talk about Kiwis <laughs> or anything. But I, I think in, in terms of the Wallabies, uh, what, one player that, I was torn about a little bit early. It was definitely, I've loved Rob Valentini since his time in the NRC, and I, I really just wanted to see him grow. And I think he's had a lot of promise in the last few years. And I didn't see him being the number eight. You know, if I'm brutally honest, I thought Harry Wilson was that man. Um, and that evolution, I think Valentini has shown throughout this year for me is just absolutely exciting. And, and it's it's a it's a battle for me because I think they've both got to be in that squad and they've both got to be playing. And I think that's where our best back row is going to be with, with Hooper in there as well. And whether one's on the bench or we can somehow make our lineouts work with both of them on the field. But Valentini has just shown this promise that I've been wanting to see for the last three, four years, his physicality, his ball running. Boy, does he have really attractive hairstyle as well. I mean, you can just put that guy <laughs> on a poster. Um, so for me, I think he's he's been one of the big highlights. Um, I'll get to you, Mitch, but Elijah's come in with something that surely is making Ando <laughs> scream like a schoolgirl in the uh, in the Oh, background. you should hear him. This. You should hear him in the background. Oh, he's going <laughs> off. For those that aren't watching, uh, Elijah's mentioned Ryan Lonigan from halfway. What a penalty kick to win it. What a massive um, set of cojones he's got to do that as a young guy coming through uh, to clinch a win. Um, awesome, awesome kick. And, yeah, that, that will go down, I think, in Brummie's history and probably – uh, when he does eventually make his Wallabies debut, expect that to be the first clip of the highlights package. But um, Mitch, which player stood out for you? Who, who was your uh, highlight for 2021? I don't think we can talk about a highlight. I I, I, I want to say Taniela Tupo because he's just my favorite player and he's just I just love watching him do whatever he does. I was I was watching his tic, TikTok live stream the other day for about an hour and a half, just watching him ramble on. He's just a magnificent human. But um, in terms of performance on the field, we can't go past Andrew Kellaway. He's been an absolute revelation in 2021. He's come in and he seems like a player who's played about 50 test caps and he's got 10, 12, 15. Uh, he made his test debut this year and he just has not looked out of place. He's played wing, he's played fullback, and he looks as comfortable in all those positions. Look, I think that that's an absolute smart call. And I'm going to finish just very quickly by saying 
I'm I'm not going to buck the trend. I was going to say a certain outside center who I love, but my highlight, um, Rob Liotta. I think I was his biggest doubter or close to, and he he had a very good end of year tour. Uh, so all credit to him. He, he's really shown uh, what a damaging option he can be. And even if he's not used again, even if Harry Wilson does usurp, um, I've got to eat my words and, and congratulate him on a very good end of year tour, I think. So, look, <clears throat> let's leave that segment on the um, <laughs> the shock uh, reveal there. And let's get the others back in. Let's get Ando and Matt in just to wrap this thing up. I am gobsmacked. Rob Leota. Rob Leota. You've Mate. mispronounced Wilson there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that shows some personal growth right there. Oh, I'm, I'm proud I'm of gonna, you. I'm going to re-listen to this and just slap myself. I'm like, what was I thinking? What was? <laughs> We've no, recorded this. This has gone out live. This is going out. This down. Yeah. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll have to um humbly. Rugby pastor but... have already uh, started penning the, the the article with the headline, <laughs> Mitch. Yeah. Well, you were totally right in that when this comment came up, I was just going, "Yes!" My my little heart just like swelled with joy thinking about Ryan Onigan's <laughs> clutch kicks. Um, Sheepy's also jumped in and just talked up Noah Lolasiu. So I agree, he did deserve more matches. He had a pretty harsh hard time up against the Kiwis. Some yeah, yeah. reports coming in from um, from the camp said that he he took those losses pretty hard and his performance is pretty hard. So it may well have been that he needed the time out of the um, 23 just to give him an opportunity to kind of gain a bit of confidence back. But who knows what the alternative would have been if he'd actually been given mm-hmm. a kind of game time ahead of Quay Cooper as it was. Mm-hmm. So who knows? Who knows? But either way, he had a fantastic season and I'm looking forward to seeing him continue to develop this year. But we are reaching, we're not at the end, but we're reaching the end of the Christmas rumble. And there's so many things that we could have spoken about, but really we just need to talk about two things. Number one, how good is Harry Wilson? Uh, <laughs> we all know that, Rev, you were really strong before talking up Rob Liotta, so well done. I just thought I'd speak the name of Harry Wilson over you to bring a bit of strength and life back into your body. <laughs> um, and beyond that... Um, Let's go, Nelson. You're the draft rugby guy, mate. Who's who's your first Australian draft pick? Boys, um, this is going to be surprising that he's not a Waratahs player. Maybe not so surprising because we don't tend to win rugby matches. But for me, it's going to be <laughs> Tate McDermott. The guy is just wow. an absolute freak of nature. That bloke is awesome. All right. I'm, I'm stopped. <laughs> yeah. Left field? Yeah, yeah. I mean... Only because I think we must have done a body swap because I'm going to say a Waratahs player. Surely number one oh, Aussie oh. draft pick, Angus Bell. Oh, yeah, sorry. Angus Bell. Bell. <laughs> I thought you were going to say Norman Nidawasi there, mate. A close <laughs> second. Very close second. You see that he did his ankle in training? Mark or Bell? Uh, Marky, Marky Mark. Mark. No longer need to ask. Oh, did his ankle right. in training. Not too bad, supposedly. Um, I just want to also point out that I get the central position on this page. So if I kind of lean down over here, I do have <laughs> oh, a of John Cena. That, so, that is, I think that's it, what it, it, his ankle's recovering because uh, Craig Balumba was there on the sideline with, some, with a lot of ice. <laughs> The weight of the world's Uh, expectations upon it. Um, So, guys, there's a couple of things I did just want to talk about. I mean, kind of Robski Foster, thanks, Robski, has said some of what I wanted to jump onto. And um, Sheepy has spoken to it as well. I think genuinely there is this vibe, this marbo within Australian rugby that speaking to kind of this positivity and this opportunity for what could be and how we could be growing and developing moving forward. And just from my role within Pick and Drive, I just want to say thanks to all of you guys. So Draft Rugby for Gold Digger and for Rugby Fixation. We also have the guys, um, the Rugby Wrap over in Perth or WA that are doing their gig as well. There's just some really good quality, in a way, community rugby podcasts that are just trying to bring this positivity and dispel the negative narrative that has surrounded rugby for so long. So for you guys, big round of applause. Um, And look, I guess one of the fun questions I haven't actually prepared for you, so I'll say the question to begin with and install for a moment is, what are you hoping to be doing with your podcast moving forward into 2022? Because there's 
a fair few things coming up in the horizon. Um, there's a lot to be preparing for. The Wallaby squad needs to get settled within 2022 before the World Cup. What what do you need to settle down before you hit that really crunch period of the World Cup? So, Nelson, let's throw it across to you, then Matt, then Rev. Yeah, look, I think for us it's just a, an evolution. Every year we're just sort of building on, on that platform that we've we've built. Um, we're in the, the mist at the moment of talking to a new stat provider, which will give us a far more detailed stats, which is something that we probably haven't seen in, in rugby, I think, for fantasy footy. So there's some really exciting things on, on our side um, that we're hoping to, to bring in. So the, the start of the year is going to look for us something along the lines of doing an Aussie rugby um, side podcast, and then we'll follow that with a Kiwi podcast and then the new teams. And we're going to have a few guests related to the teams on there so they can tell us some of the new guys coming through um and, and players to look out for and then um we've got our hot shit podcast um which is talking about all the new exciting young players that can break out into the year and, and for me these are the podcasts i really love doing early on in the year because it is creating a buzz and excitement for us and we're, we're deep diving into some of these young players who maybe people don't know yet um and, and building some of that excitement so some of these guys we've seen you know come out in the last year or two we were talking about three years ago and, and maybe hadn't broken into the scene yet, but we they come out and we feel like we've known them for years. So for me, I, I really love that part and, and that's the thing I'm looking forward to early next year. That's incredibly exciting, mate. Can't wait for the uh, the Hot Shit podcast particularly. I just love that <laughs> that hope. I love the hope that comes with just hyping up people based on little, yeah. um, little yeah, evidence and then just seeing what actually comes up. So, Rev, uh, just quickly, mate, mm. what's your call for Marky Mark? What's the bet that you've got going with Craig, um, who's yeah. the big Western Force fan? Palumba. If he's, uh, if Marky Mark is a Wallaby fullback, fullback specifically, uh, by 2023, I've got to go down to Sydney and buy him a beer mm. and uh, vice versa. If he's not, I get one. So pretty simple, um, low stakes, but uh, more than happy, more than happy to follow that one up because I think, uh, you, you know, if he does it, I'm more than happy to go down and say good day because Craig's been very vocal about it for a good year or so. Good on him. <laughs> just just set your beds early and just ride that all the way in. Uh, Matt, what's, what's new? What's happening with you in the coming months and 2022? Uh, well, look, I'm I'm hoping to have a film that will come out in 2022. I was hoping to have an announcement before Christmas. I may still get announcement. I've got a couple of developments, but um, unfortunately, the, the yeah the nature of film distribution, as I told you guys before, it does take a little while for things to get confirmed. But look, the film's going to have to come out because otherwise, it'll just be too long in the tooth. Uh, as far as the podcast is concerned, I, I haven't really. Th- I'm not sure. I've got a couple of other episodes I'm putting together which kind of get to a bit more of the heart of what I want to tell people and also what aligns with what the film promotes. And then after that, I think I'm just going to maybe just continue doing what I'm doing, trying to interview as many people I can, try and take the long view. I'll be very interested in what Rugby Australia do if they do try to, you know, align themselves, centralise, devolve the the member unions of power and change the game. And that's going to be massive, really massive. So I think that's kind of what I'll try and continue to do in the new year and and just bounce off off the other work that everyone else is doing because I think, as you said, the, the volunteer movement in, in rugby is important and I think that's what we're seeing through all these different podcasts, not just us but all the other guys and girls that are out there, is that it's it, it's the, the heart, the beating heart of, of the rugby community as far as I'm concerned. I think what you've spoken to there about the the upcoming power struggle between what's essentially a federated and state model um, or the federated and state powers is incredibly, incredibly important and it's going to be the big uh, overarching narrative within Australian rugby for the next couple of years, particularly if um, the ch- axing of Scott Johnson is a sign of what is to come. Rev, 2022... Hopefully you're still hanging around with us on uh, Pick and Drive Rugby, but let's talk specifically about rugby fixation, mate. I think one of the things from 2021 that I liked the most was getting to chat to like, well, Harry Wilson, my favourite, but even uh, James Marshall, Ben O'Keefe plays and uh, referees and people that are just experts in the field. Like That was such a nice thing to be able to do, um, getting some of those interviews with people and players that you know, have that insight that I you know, could never have is awesome. So some more of that would be good. But one thing that I'm sort of toying with and would love to try and plan out is um, meetups and sort of a physical thing. 
um, whether it ends up being a, a live podcast where, you know, people can sort of interact with it, whether it just happens to be going to a game at Suncorp, letting people know through rugby fixation and, you know, sort of getting a group together to watch it or go to a bar afterwards or beforehand. Um, I, I think COVID sort of put a lot of stops to that sort of interaction and meeting up with people, but there's such a great fan base of rugby um, people and, and, and you know, I guess guys that want to, you know, talk about the game as much as we do. So I think the more that that can happen in a sort of physical and in-person nature, uh, the better. So that's something that I'd be pretty keen to look into and get going. That's bloody exciting, mate. And mm. enjoy your beer, says Sheepy. He thinks you've got a pretty good run on that one. Uh, okay, pretty, Mitch, pretty I haven't I haven't prepped you for this one, mate. And considering we're the co-hosts, we'll see how this one goes. What do you think we're going to be doing in 2022? Uh, I like what Rev just said about meetups. That's something I've been thinking about too. Yeah. So yep. well, we want to work a little bit closer with some of the super sides. So the Waratahs particularly want to build some relationship between the us and them and try and bridge that gap between the community and the super sides. And hopefully we can do some pick and drive meetups prior to Waratahs games, Wallabies games, whatever, wherever we get to. I'm thinking of heading down to Melbourne if that ends up going ahead for the super round. Um, we've also got the Women's World Cup coming up next year. So I'm I'm really keen to sort of dive into that as well, whether that takes its own form of a separate podcast with its own name and its own hosts and things or just a, a segment, but really sort of dive into the women's game and really track how the Wallaroos are going and give them the, the spotlight that they deserve. Exactly. And I think you've just spoken to the heart of what I'm wanting to try and move towards is a greater emphasis at a women's game in 2022, just because they deserve all the hype that they can possibly get. They're incredible, incredible athletes, incredible um, servants of the game. So look, on that note, uh, we've also had Carlos come in. Thanks for a fantastic year, lads. Thank you, everybody. This has been a great way to finish things. Have really appreciated uh, your time as the fans and pundits that get involved with all of our pods each week. Um, I know that for Pick and Drive, we'll be taking a little bit of a break now just to kind of spend some time uh, not talking about rugby for a couple of weeks, but we'll be back in pretty soon doing a preview for the upcoming Super Rugby Pacific season. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for your time this evening. Hope you have a wonderful night. We'll catch you later. Bye. Merry Christmas all. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy. Me, oh my, I have enjoyed that. Yes, boy.